Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. But what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Welcome back to If Roy Hodgson Can Be a Premier League Manager Aged 479, You Too Can Achieve Your Dreams. An Arsenal podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friends. Bradley Adams and George V. One secret, listeners, that we're going to let you in on. That took me far too many attempts to do that. And uh, as all good jokes do, they get old. Uh, second thing, we have another secret on this podcast, which we're only going to tell you at the very end. If you stick it out to the very end, we're going to reveal something. If you guess it, you would have brought this podcast. And if you guess it, if you if you can somehow prove that you know what it is halfway through the podcast, we'll give you a prize. Welcome back to the different knock. Hello, chaps. How Hello. are you? Not too bad. Mate. Not some Paddy's day. It's, it's not some Paddy's day for some. It's not some Paddy's day for some. Patrick Vieira. The irony. Gone. Does that, before we get into uh, the elephant in the room, does that make our job on Sunday harder or easier? Because I can't really work it out. George, I wonder what your thoughts are. I don't know if it does. I'll be honest with you, because it's not as though that they've had this uh, as a plan. Um, it seemed rather rushed. And, you know, I think McCarthy stepping up from the U21s with the idea that he's supposed to either carry for the rest of the season or Roy Hodgson, as we said, potentially making a comeback. I don't know if that screams change to me. That screams like, I don't know what I'm doing, and I panicked. Um, and I don't know if the dressing room necessarily lost their faith in Patrick Vieira. I didn't really see that uh, from the outset. Sure, disappointing results. Sure, they haven't been in the best of form, but it seemed as though that the players were still on board. I didn't see a lack of effort yeah. um, or application yeah. from them. So, uh, no, no. I, I think that it will be just another day in the office for them personally if you look at the last 10 as well they've played like tough opposition they haven't played somebody below them in the last 10 games Brentford Brighton United twice City Liverpool they lost Zaha for five games like it it screams of um, looking at the league table without kind of any critical thought rather than actually thinking it's panic okay it feels like panic it's been a tough 10 games the, yeah, the strange thing for me is that they're twelfth, which is what I find bizarre. And I'm trying to think: have we we've played we played Everton with a new manager? Um, I suppose yeah. a new manager and interim manager don't quite count. Have we played anyone else? I mean, that's not a good omen if if we're just if we're just going off that one bit of data. But yeah, I I can't quite work it out because the thing is, is I you know all of that all of that sort of preparation and analysis and stuff um, that you do before you you play a team. Uh, yeah, kind of goes to waste. But look, we'll see. Uh, we'll do some preview in news and views. But we must get to the elephant in the room. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna posit something, and I would like your boys' opinion on it. My word of the game is intensity. I think there are. I'm gonna say 14 players in this squad who we can use and exert the level of dominance and control that has seen us play the way we played this season. I think that's the first 11. So, you know, the the 11 that we played, the, the kind of idealized 11 in our head, Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, uh, and I think Smithrow and Jorginho are unlucky to miss out on this, but I do think we start to compromise on certain things with them in. It's just different skill sets. It's not, not to say that they're bad players at all. Um, and I think we can bring in Trossard. I think we can bring in Vieira. And I think we can bring in Tomiyasu without giving up a huge amount of control. I think after that number, after that 14, we begin to lose a bit of control. Now, the reason my word's intensity is I don't think you can play every single game of a season at the same intensity. I don't think it's possible unless you have 
basically 16 to 18 players who can facilitate, or you, or you can play at the same intensity, but you can't play it with the same level of control. So you're going to have to give up on something. And I think we gave up a bit on uh, our control yesterday. And I think we also gave, a bit, gave up a bit on our intensity. But the point being that someone like Granite Xhaka, to, to be able to hold on to the level of control that we have had in certain games this season, we have to play. And, we, and when we saw, we, you know, when, when we brought on Martin Odegaard, when we brought on uh, Thomas Partey, we started to gain that control back. We started to get the, the identity that we've seen this season. But we cannot do that at the level of intensity that we uh, probably need to, to be able to win these types of games without having a bigger squad. So as much as I'm frustrated at going out of the Europa League, uh, and by bigger squad, I mean, you know, a, a sort of that number that I identified, 16 or so players who can facilitate that level of control. Beyond that, we we start to compromise and we start to play differently. We start to have to play differently. Someone like Kieran Tierney is just a different player from Zinchenko. Not a bad player. Just means we we can't exert that level of control that we normally have in football matches and they become a lot more, more like basketball. That's my main feeling. Brad, I'll come to you. Um on this so so like I'm frustrated I think there's lots of positives that we'll get into but to me I start to look I think you start to do the sort of the logical conclusions and you go okay so why what happened yesterday okay we weren't we weren't weren't very good when did we look good we looked good when our first 11 came on and can we play our first 11 every match no because they because you can't because they can't play the level of intensity and you and we can't get that control without them so it just feels a bit bit like that's the logical conclusion for me. But yeah, word of the game and your and your thoughts on that. I agree with all really that you've said. I think there's one caveat slash thing to add for me, which is that I think the technical level on show from a lot of players, even the first 11 yesterday was unacceptable for large periods of the game. Sloppy passing, um, no, dis- despicable final actions where we were just letting balls run through legs and doing nothing with it. Um, but I think this all kind of ties into my word of the game, which is burden. And I mean that in a lot of ways. I think that, like you've said, the intensity burden on that first 14 or 15 players has been magnificently large this season. That, you know, we haven't been subbing people off. We've really, really been keeping our most important players on the pitch for kind of as long as we can. And that's going to have an effect and that's going to take a a toll. And burden also in the sense that if we look at this from, from without the disappointment of being so close to going through and whatever and yada, yada, yada. If we go through, we end up playing Juventus in the next round. And then if we get through that, we have to play Man United in the round after. That's four really fucking tough fixtures. And if we're playing the first 11 again and again and again and again, that is such a burden on the weights, on the shoulders, on the legs and on the minds of all of those players that I don't think you'd be far from guessing that a domino effect could be easily, easily in the future of it's, it's too much football, too much intensity, um, for uh, for for the thin nature of the squad at the moment and both sides of things could collapse um i would and i'm you know my opinions on going out and whatever we can discuss later with everyone but i i think that 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 there was a lot of burden on the players to put in a good performance and get us through but in putting in a good performance and get us through, getting us through, there would have been so much more burden that could have ruined our season that I think it's a lose-lose situation for Arsenal, really. You know, we look at this and we go, if we go through, brilliant. We're in the quarters or whatever. But then we've got so many more games against such tough opposition. And as much as you want those bounce games to be able to carry you through, I feel like going out just before the international break is a perfect time to kind of wipe it off wipe the slate clean and just move forward for the league? Um, I, I think my word of the game is going to be application and uh, a lack thereof. Um, look, I, I think that the, there's a silver lining um, in terms of fixture congestion that I th- I'm sure we will get into about the effects of. The one thing that I can't say, though, is the performance that I saw on the day frustrated me more than performances have in the past. And that was because of a lack of application. I felt as though 
look, when you make six changes to a starting 11, you expect chemistry issues. We've talked about it. I'm sure we will talk more about it. Um, but I think the technical level baseline of everybody involved, like Brad was mentioning, was very poor. I think the transition control um, that the team displayed was very poor. Um, and, and there was enough first quality there that I'm struggling to evaluate how consistently we performed. Um, I didn't see us exert the uh, the typical field tilt, let's say, that we've seen to come from Arsenal all season. I didn't see the same press that we've come to love all season. And probably the most frustrating yep. PPDA thing... PPDA was way higher. Yes, and it's... Um, that's not a good thing. And, you know, if, if that is to continue, it's not something that I'm going to enjoy. You know, that would increase the rate of transitions that we have had since the post-World Cup to be on. So am I worried that it's the end and all this stuff? No, it's not doom casting. But uh, I will say the level of performance and the lack of application from players was definitely something that I had a real big issue with. There wasn't enough people that were ready to receive, retain, and recycle the ball. Um, both all in midfield, but even in the front line, when you talk about Trissard being extremely loose, uncharacteristically loose, that's an example of a first-team player who's been in red-hot form that has played down to the level of the opposition. He wasn't the only one. There were others, by the way, in the first team that, you know, had been playing well previously. Look at Zinchenko. Excellent uh, Fulham performance, really poor sporting first leg, and then I would argue poor leg in this one as well. Uh, Jorginho started brilliantly and in the last couple European legs has performed subparly. Uh, Vieira, excellent in the first leg, uh, non-existent and impotent in this leg. Um, there, there was too many players that even that we would consider in the top 14, in my opinion, that didn't play to the level on the day. And I do think it was a timely reminder to the squad that if you don't earn the right to play, you cannot win. You cannot let rest on past laurels, performances, and the prestige of who you've been this season to win you games. You have to step up and you have to take the bull by the horns. Um, I also don't want to discredit sporting because I do want to talk about them. I thought Ugarte in the pivot was absolutely incredible. Um, Adnan, the, the goalkeeper, was phenomenal. Diamande oh. at center back was incredible. There was a lot of great sporting performances. But do I think that, you know... The Amram, setup as well. It, it was beautiful. Like I think Amram is, do, is not going to be there long. Um, I definitely think Sporting have a gem of a coach on their hand. But uh, beyond that, do I think it was impossible for Arsenal to exert control? No. Have we done better this season at uh, a man-marking job on our Zinchenko and Partey pivot? We have. Uh, But again, I want to end on a positive since um, I do think that the fixture congestion is something that we should talk about. Because while I'm probably happy with the results and very upset with the performance, I think short-term and long-term things are very two different things because this for me does quite a bit in the title race i I do believe so you know the uh, 11 games to 17 is a very stark difference it's not as minuscule as people think yeah um yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll do a bit on uh, the sort of fixture congestion in a moment but yeah let's let's sort of clean up on what we want to talk about about the game i don't have too much i i I think realistically my feelings is, is, is trying to look for it's trying to look for patterns and it's trying to look for things we can take long term because we can say oh that pass was off or this this guy didn't play about well or whatever and that's all valid stuff but I'm kind of looking forward now and I'm going okay well, what can we take forward for the league we've got eleven games left which we'll come to and we'll come to the fixture congestions and congestion and stuff but George coming back to you very quickly I'd love you to to see what, to hear what you thought about sporting and 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 hear your take on that but also we would be sat here having a very, very different conversation (laughs) had some guy not picked up the ball 47 yards out and put the ball in the only location that it would have gone in. I mean, it is an unbelievable strike. So I think it's important that we have these conversations. I think it's valid. And and, and I I think uh, they are, what's the word? They're they're sort of edifying in, in some sense or elucidating in some sense. But also... I am th- thinking as well, we would be sat here having a very, very different conversation apart from one moment of quality and brilliance, ultimately. and It's you not know- even that, though. You look at that goalkeeping performance. Like, us, we played badly. And ironically, we probably still should have gone through on the basis that if Adam doesn't decide to have an absolute fucking worldy of a match like every goalkeeper does against Arsenal for some... God, unbeknown reason, you know, like 
the Gabrielle header goes in and it's a different story. I think it's it's not just one moment of quality. It's several that have kept Arsenal from progressing in this tie. And but we it, were but bad. But it's the moment that That's a positive it. in itself. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a positive in itself. It's the moment that separates it. Ultimately, it's the moment that... Yeah that changes the course of the, the, of the whole scenario. Yeah. So, you know, and this is what, I suppose what we're both saying is this is a game of fine margins. And we know that, mm-hmm. but it just feels like I'm always keen to stress it when when we're talking, because as much as we were poor and we were sloppy and, and um, you know, it, yeah, it, 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 it's not a good performance. But I, I also am willing to just be like, sometimes that happens. Like you're going to have sloppy performances and... If we're conceding 47 chances and we're getting overloaded on our left-hand side for the entire game and Mikel does nothing, then I'm worried. But for me, it felt much more like an individual issue of, of performances. Sona Erdegaard coming on raises the level and we're back where we are. So I don't have any major overarching concerns. But yeah, George, I'll come back to you on that. Uh, so, like, first thing, you want to praise the rule in the pressing that, you know, Amarim really structured off the ball. They had this, like, kind of pentagon shape where the the pivot kind of backed up the front three in terms of man-marking Zinchenko um, and Jorginho, and mainly Ugarte had that job of really doing an excellent 1v1 man-marking job onto Zinchenko. And as soon as he received the ball, he was very strong uh, in terms of pressing, being front-footed, but he also didn't press all the time. That's kind of what Arteta wanted. He wanted to drag the double pivot out because there was space if you broke the double pivot of Goncalves and Ugarte. Um, and what they did was that Trencao had to drop deep several times just to help and build up, which really helped Sporting get out. But I think Arsenal struggled to build up in their 3-2 and get it and keep it in the final third. There were times we had some good moments and we got through, but the amount of times that we spent inside their final third was definitely less than we've seen previously. That was kind of the first problem. Then the second problem was that there was tons of individual errors, unforced errors in the middle of the park that we saw um, that I think kind of made the frustration increase a little bit, let's say. Um, and, you know, look, we talk about kind of the transitions, but with Zinchenko kind of floating in the pivot, you're going to leave that space open. I do think Sporting uh, played that ball into the channel quite aggressively in both legs, by the way. Um, so we're always going to see space there. But, you know, that's never been an issue. What I think has been an issue for me is that I don't think I saw the same 1v1 press uh, from the back to the front as I've seen in, in terms of the MVP of this season, which has been that press. When you get your Partey and your Odegaard, you've got two huge players in that press. So automatically it works, it looks good, and boom, we sustain a lot more pressure. I think everybody can say from extra time on, they felt more control of the game, for sure. Uh, But why was that? Uh, Look, I think Rob Holding, when you have him in build-up, in terms of the spaces he creates, he was actually quite good on the ball, but off the ball, what he causes in terms of panic is quite distinct. Combine that with Jorginho, who we know is not the fastest in channels, but um, also combined with the fact that, you know, Zenchenko had struggled to control his left-hand side, you're left with um, both sides of the pitch being stretched. One side from Rob Holding, and then the other side on the left with Zenchenko. So that's always going to be a worry in transition. Uh, I am with you. That goal is unbelievable. I don't. I've seen some lunacy on Aaron Ramsdale today on the timeline. Uh, when it's, in, in a matter, it's crazy. It's it's insane because you know he had a phenomenal uh, performance. Not just in terms of, in my opinion, the penalties, which he guessed right each time. By the way, he probably should get there to the one that he gets a hand on for sure. You'd be upset at that. But he guesses right on every single one. And then there's that one when Marcus Edwards is through one on one. It is an Smacks incredible. Him in the face. <laughs> smacks him right in the face look whatever happens you save it with whatever body part you can but the reason i highlight this is i think allison is one of the (laughs) allison is one of the best 1v1 keepers in the league at this i'm not saying and and aaron ramsdale for me this is a weakness of his so i really want to highlight when he does it well i think he made an excellent decision to come out and i've seen some lunacy on the timeline should aaron ramsdale be that high uh yes he should because we play a high line yeah he should yeah, yeah, you should. This is uh, this is the thing. Yeah. I said this on our instant reaction. It's like you can't you can't spend an entire season saying how great is it that we've got such a high line and our keeper sits where he does and whatever. And then the one like he gets back. This is the thing. It's like he he literally gets back to his goal. It's like the point five of an inch either side that that goal went in. It's 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 crazy and 
Yeah, man. I, it's I, just I think a fucking um, good goal. If you're moaning, get over is, yourself. It's a good goal. It's, it's what we like football for. Stuff. Fucking hell. You don't want that goal to exist. Stop watching football. Um, Fuck off. But yeah, George, it's good. George, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back to what you're saying because I think, I think you're right on their pressing structure was really, really nice. But also... Ultimately, a pressing structure is nothing without intensity. And this is this was such an important game for sporting. Such it's probably the most important game in their season. I think they're fourth in Premier League. They're 15 points off Benfica. This, this is their most important game. Their, their fans look like they were on FIFA, mate. Like they had like all the sort of, you know, colours and the and the scarves and stuff. I mean, honestly, it was incredible support. Um, and, you know, it was, it was just, yeah. I, I think sometimes you just have those days. And, and I felt as though... The issues were obvious. I felt the places we were losing the ball were exactly the zones that we had Thomas Partey for. And when Pop Party came on, I felt as though those zones started to to um, to sort themselves out. A, a couple more things on the game, Brad. We I want to come to the pens uh, and just talk about that kind of experience and going through that. But the injuries to Saliba and Tomiyasu. Um, Tomiyasu left the Emirates on crutches, according to, I think, Keir Kainak. Uh, Saliba was in the sort of huddle at the end. Um, I think if Saliba's all right and we've got the international break and hopefully the Tomiyasu one isn't too bad, that's okay. But uh, especially with the fixture congestion congestion that we now no longer have, which we'll come to. Uh, but yeah, your feelings on that because uh, it's like one of those things. This this tie, I think I said said to you said to someone last night. It's like design me a more annoying way to go out yeah. of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 120, 120 minutes, minutes losing two defenders two, two defenders in the same zone it's like, oh god yeah I mean um, in the most brutal way possible it better that it be Tomiyasu leaving on crutches than Saliba I think losing Tomiyasu yep. is much less detrimental to our season than Saliba um, listen it's obviously unbelievably disappointing we have to wait for more information because i mean i don't know if i've I'm, i don't think i've ever told george actually i tore my quadricep and then played 90 minutes on it and walked home from football completely fine so like some like we footballers are obviously way more protected than a fucking random sunday league game but like i wouldn't read into everything crazy amounts yeah, until we, we things can't are confirmed know. by the club we can't know um, hopefully with Tommy Asu it's not too serious especially with only kind of 11 games left of the season having two high quality right backs in, the, in that area for the last run in would be obviously ideal and then maybe also having that cover at centre back so I never have to see bald holdings regenerated hairline ever again even though I love the man would be brilliant. Um, I don't know. It's it's like you say, it's the most annoying way we could go out of Europe. Losing two defenders, 120 minutes in the legs. Luckily, the Saliba one doesn't look that serious and we can just hopefully move to Crystal Palace and then the international break, which has dropped at a good point for those bloody injuries. <laughs> yep, yep. I just really want to come, before we sort of move on from the game and, and uh, go to something else, I want to talk about the penalties because this team have we when was the last time we were in a penalty shootout? I can't remember. A long I think time someone ago. tweeted I, I, saying it's the first at the Emirates. Was it Liverpool in the cup? Yeah, possibly Liverpool in the Carabao I Cup. I saw... It's the first at it's the first at the Emirates and it's first it's first yeah. at our home for Arsenal since something like two thousand and three or something. It's it's crazy. So I think there is look, it's never nice. First competitive one. It's never nice to go through that experience and lose. But if you're going to go through that experience and lose, you'd like it to happen to a young team in a competition that, okay, it would have been nice to win, but it's not the end of the world um, in that sort of situation. And 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 George, like, you know, are we going to have to strip the captaincy off Erdegaard for not winning the heads and tails? I mean, I think that's unforgivable, really. Yeah, um, how dare it? <laughs> no, but like, I think there's a... Yeah, it's it's a good experience, and yeah, I was pretty happy with all the penalties. Apart from apart from apart from Martinelli, I thought the pens were right. I also someone texted me before um, before saying who would you want to put in your your penalties other than Rob Holding? I'd have been happy with every single player. Yeah, no, I had no issue with even the order, the penalty takers themselves. I thought Trossard's no penalty, Bobby Holding. 
Wow. Yeah, struck shocked there. But um, no, I, I think uh, the penalty order was fine. I think Trissard's shot was maybe the only one I was like surprised with. Trissard had a weird game. Not to pick on him on individuals. We talked about the system. But um, he was very uncharacteristically loose with his efficiency, which is his superpower. Um, and for me, even the penalty, it, was, it wasn't the greatest of pens. It snuck, it snuck other admin. But uh, it, beyond that, I, I think the experience of the penalty shootout is going to be very good for the team. Um, when you talk about what would you like to happen on a young squad, probably in a competition that doesn't define them, on the global stage, I think the Europa League is definitely something that is global to a certain extent. And it's it's fine for banter and it's fine for fan discourse and rivals to kind of talk about and mock. But on, on the general uh, aspect of their kind of career, Champions League nights are where you're formed and made, right? And I think a, a penalty shootout loss at a later stage in that competition, for example, does a lot more. A, a World Cup, a Euro Cup... Those are the kind of stakes that your penalty shootouts gets defined in, maybe even an FA Cup final and whatnot. For me, a Europa League uh, kind of fixture, again, quarterfinals and not even like finals, it is a better pill to swallow. Let's put it that way. I don't think penalties are ever a good thing to lose, but if you could lose a penalty, this is a pretty decent way to do it. Yep. Yep, no, I hear you. Um, And... You know, as you say, it's it's a good experience, and I, yeah, I, I just can't help feeling that it's not. It's it sort of reminds me a little bit of like when we um, lost out against uh, Newcastle last season. That felt, and if anything, that was more painful. Like that thing of like missing out on top four. This I feel like is an experience that we've gone through. We know what it feels like. We know how that works. It doesn't really matter that much and something that uh, I think Phil Costa said on the Arsenal Vision instant reaction which I really love is that the Europa League sometimes brings you down to its level which I'm like that is such a good description of the Europa League um, and I just I'm so happy we're rid of it that, that I'm was so happy sorry we're rid that of was it. my that that was my one frustration though I, I will say it is the one time that I felt that we played down to our opposition I was saying that earlier and I think we've worked very hard as a team to dispel that attitude um, I don't think it's doom and gloom, but I think that's why Mikel will be upset. Not at the result, but the fact that we played down. And, and I think that's the key. Don't let us play down and you're going to win a title, lads. That's going to be the message from now on. Earn the right to play. Don't do those things. And this is what happens when you don't respect your opposition. Yeah, but it's it's funny, isn't it? Because structurally, because I, I, I think I agree. I, I, I think there was a certainly a lack of respect for the competition or something in terms of the intensity of the energy I I stand by everything I said earlier, but also I agree with the points that you guys made as well around ultimately that is true and you can't play that intensity, but also there's no excuse for just giving the ball away a hundred times in a game. Like that, that there is no excuse. And Altessa pointed out in his in his post match, you don't need to be in any intensity level for that. Um but also I felt as though it's it's a we adapted quite a lot to sporting, especially Saka out of possession, sitting really deep, same as Nelson. Uh, they played the same role, so it was clearly an instruction an instructional thing. Um, when when uh, Nelson went off and Saka came on, so I felt as though structurally and and you, you do feel as though Mikel will have wanted the players to to kind of go at with uh, go at it with a uh, with the same level of intensity as he, as he does for everything. I can't imagine Mikel ever thinking we'll just throw this game whatever. Um, but yeah, I just think there's a sort of thing with Europa League where it does just start to bring you down to its level. And Brad, like <laughs> I was thinking, I got really sucked into this game beforehand. I was like, honestly. If when it was about the 88th minute, I was like, I'd rather we score an own goal and just get in home home yeah. and dry rather than play these extra extra minutes. I don't care enough. But I like the halfway through the second a bit of extra time, I was like heart pumping, sweating, like panicking. I was like, why do I care? But I suppose that this is the thing is when you get on the when you get on the pitch, you just want your team to win, don't you? And maybe I don't, yeah. I don't know how I'm gonna handle Champions League next season, mate, honestly. Um only other thing I wanted to come to before we go to news and views is Kim Kardashian absolutely loving Saka. Because Saka's pulled Kardashian. Saka is in. Saka has slid into Kim K's DMs. Well, he she he was on Facetime. He her, sent so her that photo. He sent her that photo of him diving in the pool on the unicorn. She's <laughs> lapping it up. <laughs> he's They're having he, a he's fucking a great mirror. time, lads. Jim Mirror selfies over Instagram DMs. <laughs> Bakayo Saka 
is not the stepfather to North. He is the father that stepped up. <sighs> right. We've got a news and views, and then we'll do some uh, some title race talk. Let's do it. We'll see you. <laughs> yeah, God. After this. Oh, geez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood. Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Thank you to those. Thank you to those of you who are in the Different Knock Members Club. Uh, you can join too at Patreon. I'm just reading my own writing here, which is grammatically incorrect. I've been reading it wrong the entire time. Well done, me. And get access to ad-free <laughs> versions of all of our content, which includes main podcasts like this one, bonus podcasts, instant reactions, the rewatch with Rohan Jivan, and bonus video content for just three pounds a month. Bradley Adams, less than the price of a coffee. Speaking of coffee, for one time, less than the price of a Guinness. If not, you can. Buy me a coffee. <laughs> the links are in the show description. Don't give out secrets. So, <laughs> I've made... Can I share my screen on this? I think I can, can't I? Oh, God, this isn't fucking Zoom. Hang on. Can I share my screen on here? Can you see that? Can you... Do... Linda, Linda, your microphone's muted. George, can you see that? Yes, sir. Okay, lovely stuff. So I've drawn up this uh, kind of title race uh, Excel spreadsheet. Please don't be jealous of my skills. Here we go. Man City have an FA Cup quarterfinal tomorrow against Burnley. If they get through and they get through to the final of that and they get through to the final of the Champions League, they have 19 games to play till the end of the season but that's two finals after the Premier League is finished so they would have 17 games to play which would be six more than us we just have a straight 11 run to the finish now we have our game week 28 tomorrow uh, all the way up to game week 38 uh, against Wolves at home on the final day um, there's a lot of football for Man City to be playing and they've got to find a time to play against West Ham because they're meant to be doing that this game week, 28th. Uh, they would have been doing that tomorrow, so they've got to find a time to do that. I don't know when they're going to be able to do that. And as I say, if they get through the FA Cup, um, they've got to find a time to play Brighton uh, for their game week 32, which will have to be rescheduled as well, possibly midweek uh, towards the end. So who knows? Um, George, I'll come to you. Looks quite tasty. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think if you still had a look at the number of, let's say, teams under the top 10 that Arsenal have to face, and as well as the collection both home and away, I'm really looking at match day 32 and 33 as pivotal to this race. And why I kind of say that is I feel that the two games kind of after the break, for me, us facing Leeds, Man City facing Liverpool, and then we kind of swap where we face Liverpool and they face Southampton, that could be a situation of drop points for both teams, but I don't think it affects the race. I'm then jumping the gun all the way to the 32, uh, where they face Brighton after facing Bayern. Um, I don't remember if it's away or home, but really, it doesn't matter. Uh, it is away. So they, they face Bayern right before, three days before they uh, have to face Brighton uh, away, while Arsenal have to face Southampton at home. That, for me, is an area to create a gap again. Um and then we face Man City. Those two match days for me are going to be the sliding doors moment for the title. If we can maintain a kind of five point or more gap, um, I could almost be saying I think the title is ours at that point. I look at the last couple games as uh, as difficult fixtures in terms of Chelsea and Newcastle, but I, I don't know if Everton, Brentford, and Chelsea uh, in, in City's run-in are, are necessarily better. So... For me, after that kind of match day 32 and match day 33 slide, I really think that you can close out the season. Um, if we can get to that point relatively unscathed, it's really only Liverpool away at Anfield, where we have a very poor record in. But 
uh, it, that is a difficult game. And, and City themselves in that period have to face Liverpool. So I, I do think that when you start to analyze this, that's the breaking point if I had to put my, uh, my prediction hat on. Yep. Yeah, Brad, of course, all of this comes with the caveat that City have a much bigger squad in terms of quality than us. Um, how's that looking for you? I don't know if they do. I'm just having a look through, and I think the two areas that that, um, that George has identified, I think, are the key areas. I think around game week 29 and 30, um, both facing Liverpool, that feels really important. Then there's a sort of run of gains, and then that just that period around 33 and 34. I feel like that game away at Man City, I really don't want it to, but I think it will decide the title. Because I don't think you want to go into any game thinking this game or bust. I don't think that's a healthy psychological place to be in. However, looking at where it comes, looking at the run of fixtures it comes in, uh, imagining the situations that will be in and around that time, yeah. especially considering they'll have played a lot more football around that period than we have. I think it's like we've got to make that count. And making that count for me is just a draw. We've just got to make sure City don't take maximum points from that game. That's kind of the reality of the situation the City find themselves in. If we're lucky enough that our results match up against Liverpool, whether that be win, lose or draw with City, realistically, if we can get a draw from that City game, I think that's where the title kind of gets decided. Um, but, but even then, we can lose that game and still be two points ahead and... I, whilst I understand they definitely have quality in numbers that we don't have at the moment, especially in, in certain areas like out wide and at centre-back. But I look at that City squad and it's much thinner than it used to be, especially in terms of quality. And they've got a hell of a lot of minutes to play and a hell of a lot. It's not just even unimportant minutes. Pep Guardiola and Man City will be desperate to win the Champions League this season they're going to be placing so much stock in those games that it's not like they're playing dead rubber games coming up to the end of the Europa League campaign or coming up to the end of a, an FA Cup campaign that they've they've won a million times. They're desperate to win that trophy and they're going to be making subs at 60 minutes to bring top quality play players on against Bayern to win those ties and win those results that is going to have a knock-on effect into how they can line up and what they can do kind of team sheet-wise in the league that isn't going to happen to Arsenal. I think what we need to pray for is this, in my opinion, I think this game can be decided by the two games against Liverpool. If City lose to Liverpool and we get anything positive, draw or a win, that can be a big monumental step towards the title because then you're looking at a possible six to eight point gap. Not that many games left, like seven games left to overturn it, one of which is against City. So they then have to get a result against us, all of which all of those games are going to possibly be sandwiched between Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. Like you, you look at that fixture list and you go, OK, shit, we've gone out of Europe, but it the it's lined up well for us. It has lined up well for us, especially if they're having to then rearrange their match against Brighton, who, who which is away from home, who might be chasing Champions League or Europa League football themselves come the tail end of the season. So they're going to want to put in a good shift. You know, I it's it's tough for them and it's tough for us, but we have less games for it to be tough for. So there's less fatigue, just kind of by proxy. Yep. George, from a coach's perspective, how, how you have would coaching you... Because you have coaching badges, Because George has a... I, we have mentioned this. George has a UA for B. I think that's so cool. We have mentioned that, but if you didn't know... He's got his UA for B, boys. Um, he's won the Champions League. He's literally won the Champions League. Um, of dance. Uh it, how would you approach this period? Because I suppose there's a part of me whenever these conversations come comes up that kind of just slightly rolls my eyes because I'm like, well, what you want to do is try and score as many goals as you can and win as many football matches as you can and, and, and get as many points as you can. Put do it you know in what I mean? that end. 
and yes. keep it out of that end. Sean Deutsch. Um, I mean, it's li- like that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? But like, shit, boys. Let's dice our way to the fucking title. When people kind of go, oh, you know, we've got to pick up points. It's it's a you know it's a must must win game this weekend. You're like, mm. what? <laughs> what game isn't a must win game? You, you want to win yeah. every single game, right? But I am aware that some coaches look at it from a different perspective and they start looking at things in sort of bunches or they look at like sort of groups of games. They say, okay, we've got three home games in a row. How are we going to approach these? We'll look at these in kind of, you know, how we manage our squad and stuff. So that there is an element of kind of, uh, what's the word, uniting or whatever. And I think there's, like as we know in, 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 in general life, when you approach a massive project, it's always best and always easier to start looking at it from a, uh, a more sort of broken down perspective. But that doesn't have to mean every single game, you know, is just one game on its own and then and then just sort of forget about everything else. You have to start thinking, okay, we've got big games next week. Do we need to rest someone or, or whatever it is? So I don't think you can fully, fully um, atomize everything like that. How would you approach this period? So I, I think you're right. Every coach looks at a season in bookmarks. They, they do segment kind of periods within a season where you can say we can either attack that heavily or we may need to conserve our legs. We may need to play cute in order to achieve maximum points in this period. Um, however, I will say, when, when you get towards a title run-in, I do think that goes out the window when the old age mantra of take it game by game is what dominates. And I think if you focus on the details, as you say, that means earning the right to play. That means keeping your fundamentals. When you do those things, you will get victory. As soon as you start to hypothesize and you start to segment to outside and you hypothesize maybe what might be done or what city might be doing or what external factors might impact your team, that is when you start to struggle. That is when you start to um, kind of lose sight of what makes you great. And so I think it's a matter of reminding the players what has made them great has been the fundamentals that they've done all season and reminding players that their potential lies within, not with what other people are making of you. So that, that would be the biggest message that I send to the players if I was a coach, making sure not to pay attention. <laughs> oh, thank you. Mm, uh, fucking hell. You know, Do you know what? You should take your, you should take your UA for B. This, I think this be is a light, guys. And when it shines, you shine. And, um, <laughs> so, uh, guys, this is a clock, line. guys. Guys, look at the clock. <laughs> guys, I look, it's, it's, 11 to, it's 11 to 14. You're like, we laugh at these things. We laugh at these things, but I do agree that moments make seasons, and right now we're in a moment. And um, I think it doesn't make sense to kind of look at the bigger picture when you have to focus on getting those corner pieces lined up in your puzzle, making sure that you've got those easy things done, and then we can see what the picture is, and that's hopefully the Premier League title. But as soon as you start picturing, where am I going to find the last piece when you haven't sorted the border, that's when you lose sight. That's when you get frustrated. That's when things happen and you make mistakes. So... Focusing on the small details, make sure we take it game by game and making sure you earn the right to play is going to be key to making sure we earn the right to win. Yep, I think that's well said. And and Brad as well, like we joke about this sort of stuff and, you know, Mikel bringing the clock in the dressing room and stuff. And it's kind of funny from a sort of external perspective, but we might think it's cringe from an outsider's perspective. But actually, I think players really respond to that kind of stuff. And I think if you're, if you're a player who can see that a manager has not only prepared you well, but is with you and behind you. However, they show it. I think that's important. So, you know, all this stuff around Mikel bringing, you know, things into the away dressing room and making it feel more like the Emirates and stuff. I'm all for it. And you, do you remember when that, that clip came out of the all or nothing thing and he was playing the music um, from, uh, from Anfield and the sort of atmosphere from Anfield. I, I, I watched that and initially was like, cringe. And I was like, no, hang on a minute. If I was a player and I was like, my boss is doing everything in his power to prepare me for this game, even if it is a bit Brent-like, I think that's quite inspiring. Yeah. And it's not even inspiring. It's you... Sometimes we forget to realise, and it blows my mind every single day when I realise this, like humans, every other human is a fully autonomous human being. Like no one is an NPC on this world. No, and I'm just because maybe the three I'm of convinced. us, just <laughs> no, okay, yeah, it's all it's all of the ones with the Karen haircuts, um, 
but as in just be, like just because the th- maybe the three of us on this podcast find it a bit cringy or we wouldn't respond to it, there's nothing to say that they haven't tailor-made and built a group that do respond to that kind of thing. The the moment the thing we have to remember is the moments in the dressing room and the moments like that, they're not for us. They're not designed to do anything for us. They're designed to affect change in the players. That's that all that's group, important. And that group specifically, yeah. Exactly. So you need to take yourself and your opinions of it out of the equation and go, is it having an effect? Is it a smart move because of this? And if so, fuck it. If having that pissing clock countdown 11 till 14 has even 5% of an incremental increase in performance levels, that's massive. Yeah. Could you imagine if you were just 5% better at everything you do? bring in 20 of them do you know how much that is then you'd be 100 percent. do you know what i mean fucking hell no yeah it's no you're no but you're right you are right and 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 yeah i I think it's specifically that group as well and also when you say that it doesn't wouldn't do anything for us if we were in that situation i reckon if i play for arsenal i would respond to that do you know what i mean (laughs) mate honestly oh yeah it's that thing of like you know when when it's like play play how a fan would play for you i would run for 30 seconds before i'm puffed out but i would run my hardest um Right, uh, we've had a question. Well, wait, like, sorry, just sorry to jump in. Like, Say very quickly you know, and then really you can go. Really quickly. When yep. you... <laughs> yes, okay, there you go. There's the bingo. Um, look, it, you know what it is for me? It's it. You really forget how elite these players are, and, and it's because we're operating at the end of the spectrum here, okay? And when we talk about a game of margins, I don't think people realize they're in the 99th percentile of football players in the world right now. And even that 99%, you, it's very difficult to teach them things. And, and as a coach, you never are teaching somebody. You have to show them a way or give them a tool so that they feel that they've got the answer. It's kind of like when you're arguing with your girl. You never want to say you're wrong. You say, sweetheart, maybe this is a better idea to say something or to do something because you don't want to upset the beast. And look, it's... Oh, George is a smooth motherfucker. You call her a beast. Wow, you call her a beast. Whoa. Look, you know, they they take the reins. And I always say the players are your sauce. It's not you as the coach. Your players are the reason you are where you are. And they have to feel important enough to want to dominate the narrative. And by essentially treating them like they don't know or or doing things that kind of belittle their their ability and their intelligence, you're not giving anybody uh, kind of um, the tools to win. So so yeah, I, I do think that that one percent, like you talk about, it is important. We make fun of it here, but it's because you are operating at the one percent of elite sport. You're not going to say, listen. Ben White, your anticipation needs to be better on the in the middle third between zone 14 and 13 because you're getting caught out. You can't speak that way. They know what they need to do. It's about bringing that out more often at as many game state situations as possible. And listen, Ben White just wanted to be a gardener. So you just got, <laughs> Ben, when you're crossing this ball, just act like you're trimming the petunias and, and you're giving the daisy some, some love. <laughs> <laughs> no, but George, you're, you're love, up right. I love how much Ben White does not give a flying fuck about football. He, he cares about Arsenal. I think he cares about what he does, but I just love that outside of that, doesn't care. But no, George, you're 100% bang on it. And I think it's true of anything. I think it's true of anything. It's like, even even if you are giving someone information that they didn't previously know, even if that's the 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 basis of something, right? All you're doing is connecting up two ideas. They know what a foot is and they know what a ball is and you're just connecting the two up. So you're not actually doing anything new. The information and the knowledge is inside them and the neural pathways form in them. So they they take on the knowledge themselves and it's their knowledge. It's just you connecting it up. So um, I think it's really important and really and really key to, to not, yeah, you're right, not approach it from a kind of I know everything and you don't and sort of empowering the players. I think it's a, very important. We've had a question from at... S4VV again as in that's his I didn't it's not a question from at S4VV what again it's that's his anyway Fabio Vieira keep sell or loan really don't see what he's offering us at the minute seems to be more of a hindrance of anything obviously wanted to perform but he's been so poor recently that free kick in the last minute versus Brentford comes to mind scrambly Uh, Fabio Vieira thoughts Feelings, um, emotions. Um, 
how many minutes has he played? How many goal contributions does he have? Like, calm down. <laughs> like, what, what I hate about Arsenal fans, and this isn't directed at you, my friend, we all do it, and we've all been guilty of it, <laughs> is that we always look for a problem. There's no problem with Fabio Vieira. Fabio Vieira, for me, is closer to being part of the 14-15 that we can have without losing control than he is away from it. It's about finishing touches to his game rather than the whole arc of the package. Like the talent is clear and there to see. He doesn't need a loan. He just needs more minutes and in against better opposition. Like what the fuck is Fabio Vieira going to fucking gleam from playing Dundalk? Nothing because they're shit. Playing some of the Champions League group stage games, he'll get more higher quality minutes in his legs and it'll help development. I'm. He's nowhere near a player I'd, I'd I'd be even considering talking about moving away from the squad right now. He he's not the problem certainly. Um, and uh, at Sav again, if you're wondering why Brad's being so abusive, it's because he's had six points of Guinness, and that's our uh, <laughs> that's our secret. That's uh, a secret, <laughs> lads. <laughs> we decided girl. to wait until the I've very end of the podcast. It, Brad's yeah. six points in. How's this it been? How's, as long as possible. How's this last fifty minutes been for you? Tough. Honestly, like it's not even that. I just trying being able to speak like conscientiously and like pick words is so much fucking you've been hard. Quite well, actually, very you've been, well. You've been I'm, I'm as cogent, if not more, lads. I'm fucking six pints deep. I I don't drink. <laughs> like two pints, and I'm having a great fucking night. I'm six pints deep. I should be in bed. <laughs> Brad went out for St Paddy's Day, and Listen, it all got a bit. Uh... It's St. Paddy's Day. It's the day of our Lord. We're going to be having a good time. George, uh, before Brad implodes, Fabio Vieira. I mean, I mean, you know, in, in the terms that Arteta talks about him, in so, mm. you know, so glowingly, I think, you know, we spoke about his qualities. His final action is is normally, it wasn't last night, but he's normally so good. Um, he's still adapting. And, and this is the thing, you know, you, you, we're looking at Erdegaard's performances, right? And he's probably, they're not the same player 100% at all, but... Um, in sort of in some elements they have similarities but if we go back and look at Erdogan's performances in let's say 2021 when he first came to us and remember that I think Vieira is a little bit younger than him um, and probably isn't at the same talent level it's only now probably in the last sort of six months we've gone yeah Erdogan's hitting a a level that we we can see is is you know is going somewhere and and I I I think all the calls saying he's the best midfielder in the league are a bit premature but um, I do think Odegaard has, has some incredible qualities. He's also got some things that I think he needs to work on, but who doesn't? But, you know, someone like Vieira, he has literally only been here since, what was it, August, and he was injured, and he's barely played. Um, he's he's not got a run of games, and I think there's been some really encouraging moments. I, I don't feel the need to panic. No. Um, just really quickly, if you do feel the need to panic, I think, you know, uh, you're mistaken, respectfully. Um, I, I think he's played what uh, thir- he's got 13 starts um, so he's got 1300 minutes and he's got eight goals and assists in 13 starts um, he has not gone over three and a half thousand minutes in his entire career and he started the season um, injured and without a preseason uh, I I don't know why there's this level of criticism like I think it's because there's the emotion of the title running um, that's combining with this. So you judge everybody on perfection. Um, but for the most part, he is just a boy that is adapting, that lacked a preseason, just got one over the break, and is starting to hit form. Um, you know, I think he had a very rough game. At the same token as, as saying all that eulogy, he had one of his worst games in the shirt. Both can be true. But this idea that, you know, when, when you have a look at even, you know, Martin Odegaard coming in the 2021-2022 season, um, you know, he, he had so many starts. He had thir- 32 starts, and he had 11 goal and assist contributions. Uh, Fabio Vieira, in less than half, is only three behind that. Uh, I don't know how that seems to be misconstrued. With Martin Odegaard, by the way, having um, over 6,000 minutes prior to even coming to Arsenal in, in an adult league. So uh, the, the comparisons are really not equal for me. Um and I, I do feel that you're just looking at a player that you're going to have to cook. And that's not a problem. We can afford to cook in that position. If everybody agrees that Martin has been... Cook him like some egg, baby. 
you know, we can stick them in the oven and let them wait, you know, because we've got the roast already done. We're just warming up the potatoes. So it's it's okay as far he's as I He's a fucking good footballer as well. Love boys. it. Like, he's good. He's just good. Yep. Calma. Brad's literally Cal- lost it. Brad's literally, Brad's lost it. I've given him license <sighs> to lose it and now he's gone. He, he, all the, all of his concentration came out in that first 15 minutes I think um, I also think Vieira's uh, again like I, I think this obsession with Vieira bulking up and getting beefy is a little bit it's a little bit Dutch look at Bernardo Silva but tiny um, yeah exa- exactly exactly so I, I, I don't think that's it's technicality is way more important uh, but I do think he's bulking up a little bit and I do think he from from what I've seen I think he's he's slightly bigger uh, before Bradley says something offensive let's do our Arsenal trivia let's do it boys. and let's get out of here Bradley we just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia baby last time I, I asked you uh, about Benjamin White and the question was <laughs> in what hospital were Benjamin White and the different knocks Alexander Moneypenny both born? St. Mary's. Ugh, come on, Brad. Like, we're going to have to... <laughs> St. Mary's? Oh, I was going to say it was a saint. Oh, I thought, you gonna, I, thought <laughs> I got confused with St. Anne's. I'm, I'm with you, okay. Um, it wasn't St. Mary's. It was Pool Hospital in Dorset. <laughs> There you go. That's your useless fact of the day. Great. Someone's going to be going home tonight and be like, did you know that this podcast I listened to, um, he was actually born in the same hospital as uh, Ben White. As the sexiest <laughs> man alive. Why are you alive? talking to me? Love Island Maldini. <laughs> <laughs> and the theme, Brad, I'm about to ask you for a theme. Okay. Me for a theme. Brad, look at me in the eyes. I've got look one. Look at me in the eyes. I've got one, baby. You <laughs> don't need to worry. And it can't be Guinness. Ah. <laughs> and it can't be Guinness. <laughs> The theme was youngsters having an impact on the first team, but I made it Miles Lewis Skelly. So the squad number <laughs> of what squad number does Miles Lewis Skelly have right now when he trains with the first team? Your question is, what squad number does Miles Lewis Skelly have right now when he trains George already with knows. the first team? George, do you actually know this? Don't tell us if you do. No. Um, <gasps> no, I don't. I, George I just don't focuses right on the now. age number, and then no. we woke from there. That's the only number <laughs> that counts for me. Um, ah, <laughs> 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 uh, gosh, no, I, I Bradley, don't know. I know what he's got in the U18s, but no, nope. I do not know. Unfortunately, team. Uh, Bradley, a theme, please. Well. On the day of our Lord St. Paddy, it would be fitting to go with Irish players for the Arsenal. Irish players for the Arsenal. Lovely stuff. Fucking hell, boys. Well, Brad, enjoy your hangover tomorrow. Oh, it's going to be glorious. Minging. You're going to have, you're gonna have some water? Can you remember anything you've said in this podcast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> I think I made a point about Fabio Vieira being a good footballer and about fixture congestion, but other than that. <laughs> George, thank you for being with me. Um, I, I think I made some good points. You actually did. You I actually just don't quite, remember you, them. You actually genuinely, if you listen back, you're quite cogent. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I right. think the solution is to have him drink from just, now on. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what the on. conclusion is. Yeah, yeah, Brad, just get smashed for every podcast. The listeners love turn a, into a Brad rant. You got a Brad rant? What right now? Yeah, just about anything. <laughs> Guinness is too fucking expensive. Fucking hell! Eight pints for a Guinness in London. Lick my testicles. Eight pint. Eight, eight pounds. Are you joking? Eight pints. Eight pounds. Eight great British pounds. Fuck me. Eight pounds is a lot of money for a pint of of anything, frankly. Yeah, I paid eight Uh, pounds for a pint of Guinness today. That made me want to Is Guinness a thing in Canada, George? It is. It is. It is. Yes. Do you like Guinness, George? Only from the tap. None of that bottle crap. So, yeah. yeah. Good man. Only from the tap. Good man. Good man. Drinks, booze, beer, lads. Uh, Right. We'll leave it there. Fun. Okay. Thanks as always for listening. Keep it different knock.
We'll see you <laughs> when Brad's sobered up. Later. Peace. 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 Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at Diffknock. Thanks. Podcast Network.